you have your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 14 through 20. All of you are uh, citizens of the United States. I'm assuming, as far as I can tell right now, all of you are citizens of the United States. That means you have certain privileges, certain rights. Now, one of those rights is that all over the world, if you travel, because you're a citizen in the United States, you have the full protection of the kingdom of the United States. If you're in a country and you're on vacation, let's say you're in a third world country somewhere, enjoying yourself, and then all of a sudden there's a revolt of some sort, if you make it back to the American embassy, you're safe, you're secured. You will have, actually, the entire military of the United States for you in that instance. There's a lot of security, a lot of safety. And we need to understand that because we are citizens of the United States, we enjoy that great and wonderful privilege. We're citizens of a great and wonderful kingdom. Now imagine for a moment that you are a Roman citizen who is a Christian in uh, the first century A.D., and we've talked about them before. Because uh, the Roman Empire began to see Christians as enemies of the state, they began persecution. Uh, up to that point, you had, uh, had the benefit of all of the privileges of a Roman uh, citizen in that kingdom, and now all of a sudden you were an enemy of that kingdom. And so you would wonder, do I have a home? Do I have any security? Do I have any safety? And Mark is writing his gospel to a people who are asking that question. Where's my home? Where's my kingdom? Where's my safety? Where is my security? And this morning he reminds us that our security is in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Uh, From this point on in the gospel until Mark chapter 8, he is going to be showing us the glory of Jesus Christ. The overwhelming glory. His greatness, his majesty. How wonderful he is. And what he's doing, he's like a a diamond merchant holding up a diamond to the light. Who's looking at the way that the light refracts off of all of those facets. And so until chapter 8, we're going to see all of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we're going to behold his glory here in his word today. So let me read this for you. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. We're going to read through verse 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their net, their father Zebedee in the boat, and with the hired servants, and followed him. Amen. This is God's good and kind word. Let's ask for his help in understanding it today. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who proclaimed the gospel 2,000 years ago, the same gospel that we proclaim, the same good news. Pray that our hearts would be encouraged with it today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 
So I want us to see this in three ways this morning. First of all, we see the message of the kingdom in verses 14 through 15. Then we're going to see the citizens of the kingdom in 16 and 19. And then finally, the call of the kingdom kind of all throughout there. We're going to see it. So the message of the kingdom first. We could talk about these verses forever. There are so many things that are contained here. Just, just let me give, give you a little note there. Look in, look in verse 14. Look at the beginning here. Now, after John was arrested, isn't that an interesting little tidbit, a little detail there? Why in the world would Mark include that? Well, remember, these Roman citizens that he was writing to, many of them had been arrested. And he wants to encourage them and says, remember, John the Baptist, the greatest man besides Jesus that was ever born of a woman himself was arrested. Well, what can you expect as well? You can expect that because of Jesus Christ you will be arrested. Why were they arrested? They were arrested because of the message that was preached. Jesus' singular focus in his ministry of about three years was not Jesus plus something else. It was not, let me tell you the good news and then tell you how you can be better. He didn't pronounce or proclaim uh, how it is that you can modify your behavior. That's not what he did. It wasn't Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus justice, Jesus plus any of those things. It was simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we read here. That Jesus went into this region of Galilee. It was an out-of-the-way place in the northern part of Israel. And he began to proclaim, look at what it says, the gospel of God. The gospel of God. The good news. The gospel means a historical announcement of uh, of, let's see, important ramifications. It was a word that was used. Uh, the first time I think it was used was the announcement of uh, Augustus Caesar to the throne as the king of Rome. That was the first time the word gospel uh, was used. And so he would send out these messengers all throughout his kingdom proclaiming his ascension to the throne. Uh, but then after that, it was used of military victory. So anytime the Roman uh, kingdom had any kind of military victory, they called it the gospel, the good news of this military victory. And so Jesus is proclaiming the good news, but it's not the good news of the Caesar. It's not the good news of the military victory, but it's the good news of something even greater. What does he say? He says, first of all, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That is an incredible statement. It's actually two separate statements, but I'm going to smush them both together uh, for the sake of time this morning. It's, it's like this. It's, it's good news that comes. Um, the children, uh, this time of year, if you're a teacher, you know this. You begin to count down the days till summer comes, and you can't contain their excitement. They, the teachers at the end, they just let them run wild because it doesn't matter. The end is here. The news is that summer has come. That's the good news for students and teachers alike, right? They, they love that good news because the time is fulfilled. That's what I loved about school. There was always a deadline. Something had to get done by the end because the end was coming. And that's exactly what Jesus is proclaiming. He says the time is fulfilled. The time is coming to an end. The time is here. It is now. And what is here? What is now? The kingdom of God is at hand. That's a way of saying it's, it's right here. It's, it's in our hand. It's, it's within our reach. The kingdom of God is here. And what does that mean? 
What does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? Well, it means that the kingdom of darkness is losing its power. The kingdom of God means that the king that God himself is intruding into history. God is invading this world to overcome and subdue the kingdom of darkness. It's like all of those alien movies where uh, you know everything is nice and calm and peaceful at the beginning and everybody's just living their lives and then there begins to be little whispers of things happening and all of a sudden the uh, you know, before you know it, you're invaded and aliens are snatching bodies and they're doing all of these things, right? That's exactly what we see here. Jesus is proclaiming, he says, the time is here and the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's good news as long as you are in the kingdom of God. But it's bad news for everyone who's not in the kingdom of God. Let me just go ahead and mention this for you. It's bad news for sinners. Why is it bad news? Because sinners are not allowed access to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. You and I are people of darkness. And so Jesus Christ pronouncing the good news of the kingdom is actually terrifying to those of us that are in the darkness. The kingdom of God is actually bad news for sinners. Well, that's why the good news is so good to us. Because we need to be made right with God. And that's why Jesus says the second thing. Repent. Jesus does not come preaching a sermon that people would have loved to hear. He says, repent, you sinners. You have offended a holy God. You need to have your sin dealt with. We need to be justified before God. And so Jesus comes saying, repent of your sin. Humanly speaking, salvation begins with us acknowledging that we are sinners in need of salvation. And so Jesus begins pronouncing, saying, the kingdom of God is here. And if you're not in God's kingdom, you need to repent of your sin. You need to be made right with God. Repentance is not what we typically think of. Repentance is not, I'm going in one direction, I just need to turn around, say that I've done something wrong, and go in the opposite direction. No, repentance, according to the scripture, is this. I am a sinner. I am wrong. And it's not turning around, going in the opposite direction, and doing right. It's going to Jesus Christ and laying your sins at his feet. That's what repentance is. Jesus doesn't say, do better. He says, come to the king for forgiveness. And that is why he says, believe in the gospel, the third thing. He says, believe in the good news. What's the good news? The kingdom has come. The Messiah is here. He is your substitute. Because Jesus Christ is going to the cross. The king has come into this world. He is going to the cross To take our sins on himself. The punishment that we deserve. And so Jesus says, believe in the good news. That's the work that God requires of us. Simply to believe. Because Jesus' work is enough. And it's finished. Jesus says, it is finished. We're called to believe in the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's about him and his kingdom. It's about the king. But secondly, in verse 16, there's something interesting that happens. We, 
we learn about the citizens of the kingdom. Look at verse 16 and 19 real quick. Um, Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two men there, Simon and Andrew, and they're fishermen. And then you skip down a little bit further, and you see two more men. You see uh, James or John and James, both of them the sons of Zebedee. Isn't that interesting? The citizens of the kingdom. Now, um, Mark here is actually not doing a good job of storytelling. It, because the way that stories typically go is once you learn about the king, once you learn about the leader, he's supposed to have some kind of amazing victory. He's supposed to go in and charge the enemy and do something amazing. That's what happens in Braveheart. If you watch the movie Braveheart, as soon as you find out who William Wallace is, what does he do? He rides into the army, and all the, all the Scottish people, they're, they're not wanting to fight for the lords and all that sort of stuff. They're not wanting to fight so that they get land. And William Wallace says, why are you leaving? And he says, we're not going to fight for them. And then he gives this rousing speech, and, and every, all, this pe- all the Scottish army, they're ready to go fight. And they go charge the field, and they win. They beat the British. Well, that's what's supposed to happen. You find out who the king is. Jesus is the king. He's making this incredible proclamation. And then what's the very next thing he does? He goes and he talks to fishermen. Okay, It's kind of a letdown. It's very anticlimactic. Um, the king is supposed to go march his way into Caesar's throne and say, Hey, buddy, you're on my throne. Get out. But he doesn't do that. He goes to a middle of nowhere place, the Sea of Galilee, a fishing village. And who does he talk to? He talks to commercial fishermen. He doesn't go and talk to the best and the brightest. He goes and calls four blue-collar guys with calloused hands who probably didn't get a lot of sleep, who were sunburnt, who probably smelled a whole lot like fish. Let's just be honest about who Jesus calls. And guess what? These are the citizens of his kingdom. He comes pronouncing a kingdom, and he doesn't go to the best or the brightest. And the Son of God, this this is beautiful, the Son of God seeks men and women just like this. Guess what? He seeks men and women like us. Notice they don't go to him. They're out doing the things that they would normally do. They're just providing a living for their family. Uh, you know, they're sitting there. Two of them are mending their nets. They're probably not very happy about this. They're grumbling and complaining. And Jesus comes and says, James, John, I want you. Come with me. Andrew and Simon are there just casting their net. They're right in the middle. I mean, the the wording there is that they're actually in the middle of doing it. And Jesus says, come and follow me. These are the men that he wants to be a part of his kingdom, his citizens. And this is a beautiful pattern that Christ sets for us. From here on out, he goes and he seeks the lost. Christ seeks his people. Um, For many of us, You'll agree with me that you didn't even know where you were lost until Christ found you. Isn't that the way that it works? These men certainly wouldn't have known. And then there Christ was calling them to be his followers. An amazing thing. It's not the best and the brightest. It's people like us. We're part of his team, his kingdom. Finally, we see the call of the kingdom. This is verses 17 and 18. I love this. Um... Jesus goes to them and he says, verse 17, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. There's a lot that could be said about that. 
Um, obviously, they're going to be, instead of fishing for fish, they're going to be fishing for men. Um, but then also you go down and, and look right in the middle of James and, and John and in the middle of being there with their father and helping him mend the nets and do all these things, provide for the family. And Jesus calls them, and what do they do? Verse 20, immediately he called them, and they, they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They left him in the boat. Isn't that an amazing thing? Here's what we learn from this. Christ's call comes in the midst of important things. Simon and Andrew were, were casting their net. They were doing their job, and, and Jesus calls them. James and John were there actually with their father. Their dad being there is an important factor for us. See, James and John were helping their dad make a living and providing for their dad's family as well. They were doing their family duty in the midst of Jesus' call to them. The call comes in the midst of our everyday stuff, the mundane and, and all of the stuff that maybe we grumble about, we don't like, the getting up, the going, the call of Christ comes in the midst of the every day. And often it's very inconvenient for us. Because just like Andrew and Simon and just like uh, James and John, they were doing the work of building their kingdom. And God, or Jesus comes and says, I want you to stop doing your work of building your kingdom, come and build my kingdom with me. And that's good news for us because our kingdoms that we typically are building and the things that we're doing to build ourselves, to make ourselves look good, to accumulate wealth and and value and all of this stuff, it all is going to crumble and go away. But Christ and his kingdom never does. So the call comes in the midst of important things. And Christ's call to his people is always to leave behind important things. Here's what he does with Andrew and Simon. He says, I want you to leave your job for my kingdom. I want you to leave your vocation for my kingdom. I want you to leave the thing that gives you security, that gives you a paycheck for my kingdom. What an amazing call. Um, Now, not all of you are going to be called to leave your actual vocation and job. Not all of you are going to be called to leave the thing that you were doing to go do the work of Christ. I, I just want you to know this, that when y'all called me to come here as your pastor, I had the second best job ever. I roasted coffee for a living for a coffee, coffee company in Jackson, Mississippi. It was awesome. I drank all the coffee I wanted. I picked beans. I bought beans. I, I sent beans all over the place, all over the United States. That was my job, and it was amazing. And actually, I was called to leave that to come here to minister the gospel to you. Not all of you are going to be called to do that sort of thing, but every single one of you are called to leave the thing behind that you think gives you security that is not Jesus Christ. Every day you wake up and you say, this thing defines me. Most men, it's your job. And Jesus says, I want you to leave your security. Still do your job, but stop trusting in your vocation for your security. For many of you women, it's your motherhood. And Jesus says, leave it behind. That will not bring you security. Whatever it is, anything other than Jesus, Jesus says, I'm calling you to leave it for me. 
What about John and James? This is where for people in the South, this gets really, really hard. He asks them to leave their family. He says, James and John, leave your dad in the boat. Come and follow me. Um, I I debated whether or not I would share this. I'm going to um, because Amy's not here. You realize whenever we got the call to come here, she had to leave her family. She loves her family. She did it for you. Okay? That's big. Not all of you are going to have that call. But every single day, Christ calls you to leave your family with him. To find your meaning and value and security, not in your children or your mom or your dad, but in him. That call is still the call that he gives all of us today. Christ's call is a costly one. Here's the good thing, though. Here's the thing that we need to remember. Jesus only calls us to do what he has already done. Jesus left his throne. He left his throne. Jesus had everything he could ever want at his fingertips. And we're told in Philippians that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so he left his throne. He left his vocation and his job for us. And he left his father's side where he had perfect, intimate uh, unity with the father forever and ever and ever. He left it. Why? He left it for us. He did all of these things for us. For our sake. Jesus always, when he calls you, he's only asking you to do what he's already done for you. Let me conclude in this way. Christ's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of darkness. Turn on Fox News. Turn on CNN. Turn on whatever you want to see. Evening news, whatever it is. The kingdom of darkness is there fully displayed But Christ's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of darkness. Here's what that means. Worldly safety and security is not promised to Christ and his people. But eternal safety, eternal assurance, eternal security has already been won by Jesus Christ. Because his kingdom has come and is coming. And we can trust in him. And then secondly, this is something that we need to talk more about. Because Christ has come and the kingdom of God has overcome the kingdom of darkness, because we have real security, real freedom, we need to remember that Christ did not save us so that we can just sit on our hands and be idle and be content with just the way the world is. No, he called Andrew and Simon to be fishers of men. He called us because we're now free to serve the world just like Christ did. You and I need to be people who are serving the world. So you are free as you leave here today to serve your family. You're free to serve your friends. You're free to be fishers of men because Christ has accomplished that salvation. He has invited you into his kingdom and he has made you a citizen of his eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we do 
ask and pray that you would help us to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would not trust trust in ourselves, but that we would trust in his finished work for us. We do thank you and praise you for this word, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.